Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I, I just want to introduce an amazing guest for you today. I've been uh, getting prepared to head over to the TedMed event that's in Desert Springs, California this year. And it's going to be pretty, pretty hopping. But I, I was doing some research, found this amazing, amazing healthcare contributor. He's uh, the CEO at Overlap. Now, a couple things. He was from California, eldest child with two siblings. A really cool background, right? David Haddad, okay? He studied chemistry, got a BA in public health, but then he went for some more, got some more schooling in economics at the London School of Economics. But then he, he proceeded to have some pretty amazing experiences across different organizations in healthcare, the USDA, the Pan American Health Organization, where he reached tuberculosis transmission in pediatric populations. He researched it there. The World Bank, the UN Foundation, where he designed development and strategy for healthunbound.org. He's done so much, and now his current role is as the CEO of Overlap, and they're doing some pretty amazing things at Overlap Health. So they're, they're using, really working across the realm of healthcare organizations and researchers, working with mobile health data. They're doing it through APIs, data visualization libraries, and mobile SDKs, which are built on top of the open mHealth data standard. Pretty amazing gentleman, and him and his team are doing some outstanding things. But what I want to do is just open up the microphone to David to fill in any of the gaps of that intro and just give you a warm welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Saul. Hey, so anything that, that I missed there in your intro? Uh, it's pretty pretty good intro. Yeah, just there's some, definitely some clarifications on what we're doing at Overlap. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, you've been in healthcare for some time now. Why yeah. did you decide to get in? Well, yeah, that's a very good question. Healthcare, to me, has always been a way, I feel like I've always been before the underdog. I've, I've, since, my, since my childhood, I've always wanted to work with helping the people who need it the most. So I always felt that healthcare was just a great profession to be in, specifically to help people who are in need and in a lot of ways advocating for the poor. And I found, you know, like I, when I was a kid, I really wanted, in high school, I really wanted to become a doctor. And when I was at Berkeley, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And, um, you know, I went down that path and went, did the pre-med stuff, all the requirements and applied and did whatever. But I, you know, I was, 
I was always clashing with the idea of public health and, and medicine. And so I think I really wanted to focus a little bit more on public health as a, as a way to be able to help lots of people yes. at the same time. And um, yeah, so it's, I just found it as a, as a great way to, to do social justice and to help with getting people who, who need healthcare the most. And, I mean, there are other you know, ways you could do that. You could do education, you could work in, yeah, I mean, other, other sort of social services. And I just, I really am drawn to healthcare. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of medical folks in my background and my, mm-hmm. my childhood, like my uncle's a doctor, my mom was an x-ray tech, my aunt was a nurse, my great aunt was a nurse and a bunch of cousins that are all in medicine and certain shapes or fashions. So it's just been a big part of my life. And I think it's a, something I really enjoy doing. That's pretty cool, David. No, thanks for sharing that. And Really, ultimately, you were drawn by the population level type of impact that you could have as it relates to access and, and just kind of helping the underdog. Is it true you had a, the, a rap group in high school called the Symphonic Thugs? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did have a rap group in high school. We were called the Symphonic Thugs. Yeah, our number one. <laughs> That's was, awesome. Uh, e equals MC Beats. That's so and, cool. Uh, we were sort of doing kind of parody, kind of Beastie Boy style rap. And it was, you know, we were, I was a band nerd. And so we, nice. a bunch of the guys from, from band would, we created this rap album and it was, uh, we performed. <laughs> oh, you had an album, huh? Yeah, we had an album. Nice. We, we, we made money. We sold it. Uh, <laughs> awesome. More than I think most musicians today. I still debate whether or not I want to release it to the world of what we did. But I think it'd be kind of fun just to reminisce on the past. But yeah, yeah, I had a, had a very strong music uh background. That's super cool, man. And I always love that our guests have these such unique experiences that oftentimes we ignore, but they're the very juice that helps us be creative and helps us do what we got to do to make healthcare better. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, um, I always love this quote from uh, Tom York from Radiohead. He says, you know, I don't, they were asking him, like, how do you know how to do XYZ? Or how do you know how to do this type of music? And he says, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that that was so profound for him Love to that. say, I don't know, know what I'm doing. And I think that's been my motto these days. And I think music has been a big, uh, music and science have, even though in like art and science are kind of, you think that they're kind of opposed in a lot of ways of how rigid or sort of just how people think about it. But in a lot of ways, like that's been my experience is like, I'm always approaching a problem as like, as I don't know what I'm doing, but as a musician, you grow up knowing like, okay, I don't know how to play this, this music. And you start, you know, you sight read it first and you're like, oh God, this is crap. And then you, <laughs> can we swear on the show? I don't know. If yeah, we, you're good. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> uh, it's usually shit when you first start playing the song and then you say, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how to, how does, what is this chord and maybe match this chord with that chord. And, and it's the same thing with science and engineering and, you're like, okay, there's a problem. I don't really get it. I don't, and you never should come into it knowing anything. And that, that being able to look at it stuff with as much as you can with fresh eyes is, is what allows a lot of you know, beautiful things to, to emerge. David, um, so that, yeah. that's, that's pretty insightful, man. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been, been how I've operated. I, I, I like to look at things with, with fresh eyes as much as I can. Yeah. And, and I think it's a good message, right? I mean, and also to be able to say that, to admit that to your, if you're a leader in a health organization listening to this, hey, it's okay to admit that you don't know because that really opens up the opportunity for true idea generation, collaboration. And you'd be surprised what it'll do for the culture at your 
organization. I totally agree. It's a hard skill to have. So it's, you have to sort of challenge your ego and challenge whether or not like, why are you behaving in a certain way? Or why are you thinking in a certain way? Is it because of ego? And ego kind of allows you to not be so open to, sometimes doesn't allow you to be so open to change. And I think to, to be static is, is death in a lot of ways. And we're seeing that in healthcare day by day with every, everyone who stays, stays still, you know, object in motion stays in motion and object at rest stays at rest and yes. you won't move. So they want to move. Everyone wants to move in, in, in a positive direction. But if you're thinking, if you're not willing to unlock that kind of inertia and how you think, and ego plays a big role in that and just, you know, being more open to not knowing and being curious about what's good, what could happen. Um, I think that's how you, you get to go forward. Yeah, it's such a strong message, David. Appreciate you diving into that. Uh, very revealing of, of your leadership philosophy and, and probably the reason, one of the reasons you've had success in the space. Before we dive into hot topics and all that jazz, I'd love if you could just level set the listeners on what your company does and what your focus is. Yeah. So, I mean, so Overlap, we help health or healthcare organizations get patient-generated data into their clinical workflow. We've been, we're probably the most robust and powerful and flexible solution on the market today um, that allows that to happen. And built on years and years of the work that I've been doing at OpenM Health, building an open standard for mobile health data. But um, yeah, that's what we do. We, we help. So, we get, we get that data in. Hey, David. So if I have a pro- what's the problem that I have that you can solve? Well, let's say you have a, a whole host of diabetics in your patient population, or you have a whole bunch of hypertensives in the population, and you want to be able to say, look, you know, I want to, these little visits that this patient does every few months or a couple of times a year is not enough to know how to be able to manage the disease. And especially with, you know, if I'm an ACO or if I'm shifting towards value-based yep. care or whatever, I really need to contain my costs. So what I want to do is I'll use overlap to basically prescribe a, a plan or a program for this specific patient, individual patient, track, you know, set some goals, set some, some thresholds of like when I, you know, something get to be alerted if a blood pressure reading is out of bounds, or a, you know, a multi, we, we, serve, we, we satisfy multiple measurements, but they do that. They set it up once and then patient would basically get an app and connect it to whatever wearable that is associated with that specific measurement. So if it's blood pressure, it's a you know, blood pressure cuff that, that we white, it's whitelisted in our system. And then they just start tracking and they start entering their information, taking surveys and communicating with the provider. And if something happens, it opens up an opportunity for the provider to be able to triage and work with that patient's improved behavior. So they don't have to keep coming into the doctor every time some, some of this stuff happens. Or if something happens, so or if something doesn't happen, it's just wasting time. Yeah, that too, right? Yeah. So, listeners, here you go. If you're frustrated about not getting enough data, you know your patients are not coming in as often as you'd like. You don't have the information you need. David's the guy to call, and um, definitely many years of success doing it. What do you think, David? Out of all the things you work in, healthcare. What's a hot topic that needs to be on our listeners' agenda today? And how are the folks at Overlap taking care of it? Yeah, it's not, this is a really interesting, this is a topic I don't think a lot of people discuss too often, but I think it's something that we're, we're trying to do is rebuilding trust. I think this is the topic that this kind of missed a lot of times is trust that, that's being broken. 
And I think starting from that position of trust, I know this is not necessarily as technical as like talking about billing and data. No, but it's good. It's real. So is it trust like between what parties? Well, think about it from the perspective of what's affecting a lot of healthcare organizations is that patients are sick and tired of the treatment that they're getting in care. They're, yes. getting, they're getting shuffled through visits. They're not really getting the, the appropriate care that they need. Not to mention, you got clinicians who are burning the hell out. For every hour that they're spending with the patient, which is why they went into medicine in the first place, they're spending two hours on administrative, on administrative care. So if you have this is the state of the world, you have, you have that's going on, and then you have patients who are frustrated. And then what is going Patients are now going to all these like new alternative therapies type of thing like they're doing acupuncture they're doing people are spending billions of dollars on yoga and i've heard people especially i'm in california i mean i hear people in you know social settings saying <laughs> yoga is like can help with cancer i'm like what the hell are you talking about that's yeah. how people that's what's going on because they're yeah. so sick and tired of what's and so there's a lack of trust that's been broken between the two parties and what happens with trust is that you have to make a promise to someone that you're going to do something and you do it and setting the expectation and meeting those expectations builds trust. But when, when a lot of patients are kind of going in and clinicians are sort of, everyone's just pissed off at each other. I think starting from a place of stop worrying as a healthcare organization about how much money you're going to make or how much trying to scale the number of patients or trying to increase dollar. I mean, just like all these cutting costs. It's like figure out how you, I know it's not as, I think we think rethinking the metrics is like, how do we scale trust in our system? And I think it's not being discussed because I think there's so much focus on like these other issues, like, oh, I gotta like make money, I gotta survive. But if you think about it from the way you survive is if you if people trust you. Yes. They're gonna keep coming back. And so I think it's uh it's a hot topic in, in our organization. We talk about trust and empathy and so much and how we're trying to deliver our service and how we care so much about what the organizations are dealing with and suffering with. And I don't, and there are the immediate things that they, they're like the top of mind stuff, but the really the, the deeper stuff is, is really important to us. And so we try to do that, provide a trustworthy service to our clients, but understanding and being empathetic to where, where they're coming from is, is critical. And I think if everyone's spending a little bit more time on that, we'll have a better system. <laughs> no, I think that's so great, David. And, how do you scale trust? So we're working with our organizations. I think there's the internal trust with our colleagues and there's the trust that we have, like David mentioned, with patients. And it's a fascinating topic, David. Maybe you could give the listeners an example of how you've seen this done. Uh, maybe something you guys have done, something one of your clients has done. It'd be interesting to hear more about that. I think a lot of ways people are... It's meeting people where they're at. And I think you see some organizations are trying to do this by, you know, investing a little bit more technology. When you have, when you basically have patients, patients, I mean, I can click a button, this little magic button and a car comes and picks me up where, and takes me wherever I want to go with like Uber or one of these ride sharing services. And then it's, mm -hmm. it's just, I trust the service so much because it's so, it meets it promises that it's going to come pick me up in a certain amount of time and I just go and do it. And, I, and it does it and takes me safely where I need to go and comfortably. And so when certain organizations are trying to do that, like they're trying to do things like investing in remote monitoring, like with, with mobile apps and getting data from wearables and whatnot, they're trying to do things with better booking, 
like they're trying to make it easier for you to book online instead of having to call 15 times over the phone, make an appointment. So some organizations are doing that, but they're, I mean, it's still not meeting the patients in, in the lives that they're living and trying to make it easier for them in that way so that they can manage their care better. So it's still, I mean, we still got a long way to go, but there's little things that are happening. I'm noticing also like some clinicians, I've just been hearing from family members is some clinicians after an appointment or whatever are doing just like little nice little follow-ups, just a doc calling, talk, call, you know, call my aunt after a surgery, like months after, like just asking how she's doing. It's just that, that care and attention, that attention to detail is just really goes so, so long in terms of the relationship that you could be building with that, with that patient. Because the alternative is they're not going to come back to you and they're going to go to CVS or Walgreens or Walmart to go get their primary care or whatever care that they need. And I think it's, if you really want to, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know how you scale it. I mean, that's, that's how you, the scaling comes from operationalizing it and making it part of the, the bones of the organization, not trying to skirt patients off within one, two minutes so you can get to the next one. You know, I think that's, yeah, some, some, a friend of mine works at a county hospital in California and they've been doing physician resistance, meaning they, his clinic has been basically resisting the organ, the system. The, the county system and saying, we're oh, really? not going to spend, we're not going to spend eight minutes with a patient that it has a lot of health issues. We're going to take as much time as we want. So what's happening is that patients love it. They keep coming back to the service. They're getting really good care. Patients <laughs> are getting healthier. And the crazy thing is that they're the highest billing unit within, within the hospital. They're billing more. They're making patients healthier and patients keep coming back. So I, I don't know. It's just those types of little things. I think are just. I don't know, we could do so much more. And these are just little things that people are, are doing around that I've seen or been hearing about. No, that's pretty cool. That. Yeah, absolutely, David. And it's health care. You know, it's not health machine. And right. it just kind of feels like we've been very focused and very busy on, on the revenue, on the metrics. And I think it's valuable to take a step back and think about what you could do to show that care. And it could be something as small as an email or a phone call to a patient. And finding a way, to David's point, operationalize it, right? Start small, get a little pilot going, but scale it. Get ready to scale it because this is how you're going to be able to make an impact and be able to take your facility to the next level. Now, give us an example of maybe something that you guys are doing to help these types of programs that overlap. Yeah, so we're, so we're working with... Um... Let's see. So we're doing some stuff. We've worked with a large healthcare organization in California doing remote patient monitoring. So we got deep inside of their EHR into their Epic system and uh, how clinicians were being able to order diabetes program or we don't really, we're agnostic to, they call it programs. We're agnostic to the disease. We don't, it doesn't matter to us, okay. um, whatever the disease is. But so they're like, oh, we want to get these patients in diabetes program. And so they had, they were dealing with like, out of control diabetics. These are people who are, who have like an A1C, HA1C of eight or more, which is, you know, they're, drastic. they're just drastic. They're just can't manage their, their diabetes. And, 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 you know, we know this, we know all the facts and figures, like these are the people who are causing the most uh, cost in the system, as well as like a lot of the health issues are from, you know, they're these really severe chronic diseases. And so they've been using our system to give to patients to, to, to control, you know, get this data and information. And, and they're starting to see, A1Cs are going down. We're starting to see that, you know, the time that was wasted with nurses and doctors 
futzing around with data have been reduced dramatically from like double digit minutes to less than a minute, basically looking at nice. data. So massive cost efficiency so that they can actually spend visit time on weight changing behavior, which is what the whole point of what we're trying to do is helping guide you towards a, a healthier behavior and a lifestyle. That, I mean, like diabetes is a lifestyle disease. So that's been pretty f- phenomenal. I mean, we've been helping with that. We're working with the VA. I'm about to go live with an, with an app that is going to help understand what are the thing, depending on the, your changes in mood, what are the little things that we can you know, share with you, like little micro interventions or little insights that we could provide to individuals who are maybe suffering PTSD that can better help them in those moments between clinical visits. So doing stuff like that, working on some physician medicine stuff with UCSF and Davis. Um, yeah, there's a whole host of clients that we're working with that are doing uh, lots of things to be able to either understand how to better improve trust or more importantly, just helping to improve care in general. Yeah, no, some really great examples, David. And, and you know, interesting to, to just think through this. I mean, if you expect to get what you need from these isolated office visits, forget about it. You're not doing what it takes to provide that care to that patient or the populations that you're taking care of. And so it's cool to, to think through some of the opportunities that exist for organizations to take on programs through patient-reported data. Now, the impact that you can have could be so much bigger and so much better. Yeah, you're looking at the difference between, I mean, uh, we don't need to get into the, <laughs> all the nitty-gritty of all the new revenue opportunities that are available, but there are new revenue opportunities available through CMS on, that you can build for this. So there's, you know, there's a really quick return on investment. But more importantly, you're going from a one-off, a one-off sort of visit to a lifetime relationship. And I think this is the shift that is sort of I mean, that's present by doing things like remote patient monitoring. It get, it presents a new opportunity to have a, a long term relationship with the patient, not just like they come in for their weekly visit or their or not weekly their month once a year visit, you know. Right. And I think it's it allows it allows you know also it's a different it's a different framing like with it's different because you're starting to think about patients that relationship and how do you kind of keep your costs down as well as how do you get revenue for it um, on a, a long term basis versus which will eventually make you way more money on that patient than you would be just doing just these one off sort of like come in and once in a while. But the way the system is they're they're just so used to getting those it's just tried and true. If they, if we know if the patient comes in, they get. We know that they're gonna, we're going to get paid for it. But it's a new way of thinking, and I think this new way is is starting to pick up a little bit of steam so far. But you know, they think it's kind of magical. It's not. It's pretty straightforward. It's very easy. We help organizations, you know, kind of demystify a lot of how a lot of the things that it takes to do this. It's it's not that difficult to do, and it's actually it has huge impact on on just that relationship. I think when I talked to earlier about the trust between patients and clinicians, I think one of the things that we, in some of our earlier research on this is that why patients really love doing this and why, even though that, you know, it's overwhelming and there's, you know, there's new technology and that always overwhelms people. And there's ways to kind of, with proper training and good, you know, good technology, good design, you can really make a difference in that world. But Despite that, both clinicians and the patients, especially patients, love the fact that they have their doctor on the other end of the line and that the, someone on that, on the care team is like looking at their data and they just feel so much safer and ha- like more comfortable that there's, there's someone else to, you know, someone there watching them or helping them throughout the process and their journey. Instead of just being like, I'm going to do, my doctor tells me to do this. 
I go home, I get a little piece of paper and then somehow I'm going to, I have no interaction with my doctor for months, if not years. Yeah. Yeah. Months. Yeah. It's uh, so it's your choice. I mean, it's your choice listeners. Do you want to be transactional or do you want to be relational? And the best businesses in the world deliver the best value, but they also know the lifetime value of their customers. So to David's point, are you going to just take this patient and treat them as they come in? Or do you know that if this patient stayed with you through their wellness and sickness, by the end of their lifetime, they're going to be able to generate X dollars and you're going to be able to help them stay healthier? If you know those numbers, like McDonald's knows what you're worth, $50,000 through your life. So they're going to keep you happy. Maybe not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's changing. But yeah, no, they're... Right? They're, I mean, it is. They're getting... And they're getting, as a result of their, you know, like listening, I mean, they don't, they're not as you know, responsive as other companies, but yeah, their, their listening is helping you. I mean, they're, they're trying to get, customers want healthier food options at McDonald's and they're shifting towards that and it's, it's changing, which is good. And I think that's the thing is like listening to your patients, listening to what they want. Yes, they don't always know what they want, but it's really like, I mean, we talk about healthcare. I don't know, maybe it's you know, selection bias of the people that surround me that are that talk about healthcare, but I think even I've had experiences in non-healthcare settings, just people, just normal people talk about healthcare and their experiences. It's either like you hear the stories about like which providers, like they just rant and rave about, about how awesome they are. And, but most of the conversations are not, are not great. Most people don't, they're struggling and these conversations are, are being had every day at the dinner table across the world or at least in America for sure. So mm-hmm. it's, there's, there's opportunities to really fix it. And yeah, look at Amazon. Amazon is, you know, they know that you're going to buy, they know that you're going to buy a certain amount of stuff per year from them. They're going to make the best service possible to make that happen. It's like, look at, yeah, like you said, like the long term, look at the relationship. We're talking, an organization is comprised of people. It's people talking transacting or, or, you know, working with other people. Like we're still humans at the end of the day and make it human. (laughs) Yep. Yep. No, man, I'm with, I'm right there with you. I think it's a great message. So can you share a time, David, when maybe you were trying something that didn't work out a setback and what you learned from that? In terms of running the organization or just in general? Whatever comes to mind, it could be the organization. It could be a solution, whatever you want to share. I think one setback for us was it was a pro and a con. Like we, we worked with a very large organization from the beginning of our existence at Overlap. And which was, I felt like it was a PhD we got in terms of how to, how to do or like a postdoctoral fellowship yeah. on like how to deal with a bit large healthcare enterprise. <laughs> you know, I, we had dabbled. I dabbled before with, not dabbled, but done like small projects with like healthcare organizations uh, on the nonprofit at Open M Health, but it was never at this level. And I think, you know, starting out, that was great because it was great for cash flow, but it was really, really bad for, not bad. It was just, it was a wonderful experience, I have to say, but it definitely, because they're so big, it didn't leave a lot of chance for us to work on our product a lot. So I wish we mm-hmm. had worked a little bit sooner on our product, but it's been, we worked it out and it's been going well so far. So, and everyone was happy in the end, but it just, it was a lesson. I think people, someone had told me that they said, are you sure you want to work with someone so big like that? Or someone, someone large is just, they're going to, they're going to just take up all your time. And you know, it was, it was a lesson and we learned from it and we're ready to do it again. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it was basically a very time consuming endeavor that worthwhile, but it was time. Yeah, that that took you away from other things, focus areas in the company, 
finally you got them situated and uh, you're able to keep working on those. Is there any pearls that you say, man, one thing, if I go down this road or when I go down this road again, this is what I would do differently? Not really related to that, but I think in, the, in general, I think it's just really focusing on, on the people who really want to do this, who really want to do remote monitoring. I think trying to convince people who don't know anything about it or don't haven't heard about it or not interested in it, it's just really not, it's quite difficult. It's mm-hmm. a lot of, we don't, we're a small company and many of my friends who also own companies in the space are also small. They don't have multi-billion dollar, million dollar marketing budgets to convince right. the culture that this is, especially the healthcare culture, this is the right thing to do. So I think just the thing I'm just trying to really focus more on is working with organizations that really want to do this. And I think yes. we have a really great solution to help them do it. There are others that do other things well, and we do certain things well. And there's good companies to choose from, but we've been doing it longer and think better than the others. But yeah, it's just focusing on that and focusing on that and trying to work with the partners that understand, you know, that share this vision of where we're going culturally. I think that's, that's another thing. I'm I think that's powerful. On. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs can make the mistake of, Hey, you know, I'm going to go after the whole market. And the reality is you have an ideal customer, know that ideal customer and focus all of your efforts and resources on them. Yeah. It's just been trying to make their lives, make their lives better, make it, just make them happy, delighting them. And that's, it should be obviously profitable, but it's not really, we're trying to do the best with the people who really want to do this. Otherwise it's, yeah, it's going to be a waste of time. And the great thing, I think we, because we're a, we haven't taken any venture dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've been making money from day one. That's awesome, um, man. We, uh, thanks. Well, I don't know. I guess that's how I grew up. I grew up with, you know, it's a business and you ask people for money and they pay you for the service. If your service isn't good enough, then you shouldn't get paid. <laughs> So I think that's, and so as a result, I think not having my business partner and I struggled a lot with this, like, do we, should we take money? Should we build a venture? And it's like, there's a time and a place for it. I think, I just don't think right now we're, we need it right now. And it also gives us the opportunity because we're free from, we don't have a gun to our head to make like 10x return in a year and a half on yep. <laughs> whatever money we get to like work with the people that we want to work with and that fit our culture and we fit their culture and where they're going. Um, and I think that's really it's really exciting. I look forward to doing more of that. That's awesome, man. No, that's so great. Tell us about one of the most exciting or proudest leadership moments that you've had to date. Um, proudest leadership moments from, from like internally or like, or just. Yeah. I'm thinking across like the, the wide experience you've had in healthcare, David, like one thing that sticks out as dang, this was awesome. Let's see. So as of late, I think it's been working with the VA. I think that's been really, really incredible. I think just people always kind of, we were able to work with these, these great people at the VA that really want to do some interesting work and kind of mm-hmm. cutting edge and innovative work. And they just really got it. And I was just yeah. like, I really didn't think that they were going to get it because it's just the v- people think it's the VA. And so that's been really exciting getting to work with them. And they're really excited about what we're doing and we're excited about what they're doing. And that's been really incredible to, to see that kind of that, that relationship kind of begin and starting to grow. And I think the other big thing is, you know, the the work that I had done at OpenM Health, building an open standard and an open community. And that's just been, you know, I was I'm, I'm still the executive director. I don't I'm volunteering and spend some time like a few hours a week on it. But when I started, when we started in 2011, you know, talking to people like hospitals and people about health 
interoperability standards. And everyone's like, what the hell is interoperability? And, <laughs> you know, now we're, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy now. We're at a point now, like I looked at the, the numbers the other day. What the hell? Like, we built some tools and we built some, you know, we built some tools using the open standard that we had designed with people from the industry. And I mean, there's been like 6,000 some downloads, 4,000 downloads. I'm like, what? Well, this is, a, I mean, this is a worldwide. People are using software. Yeah. And I think, you know, we placed cool. some bets and we placed, I placed some bets on what we could, what we could do. And then we just recently part of, because of that work and kind of the leadership that I'd done as long, along with the people that I worked with there, we're now part of, uh, it's like a working group within the IEEE, which is helping legitimize that as a stand, open standard for the world. So I think that that's, I don't know. I think that's been really awesome. Just I'm like, shoot, that's, I wasn't expecting this to happen. And, and <laughs> it's like getting on the international stage and it's just pretty awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's pretty great, man. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, to think about that project you were working on is now becoming a standard. It's people are adopting it. Like it's, it's kind of like, whoa, this is uh, unexpected, but also all those hours and effort that you spent working on that was actually worth it. David, tell us about a project that you're focused on today that you're excited about. I think the newest one I think that we're, we're really stoked about is the, uh, well, actually two of them. Well, one is, like I said, the VA, VA project. Yep. Um, it's called Aware. The app's called Aware. It's going to be out on iOS and Android in a few weeks. Um, you go to awarestudy.org. You can, you can sign up to learn when we, go, when we go live. And that's pretty exciting. And then we just, we're about to go live this week or next week, I think, with it's up to approvals at, at Harvard, but the nurses health study. So we're powering mm-hmm. their, I don't know if the listeners know about the nurses health study, but it's the one of the largest, longest running public health studies of our time. This has been, been used since I think the seventies. The study is, was, it's out of Harvard, but it's been things that you see, like, you know, it's, it's helped to contribute so much to our understanding of like cardiovascular disease and hypertension and lots of different kinds of behavioral types of diseases and, and conditions. And so we're getting to power that and that's going to be awesome. So the, our partners at the Nurses Study, the Nurses Health Study 3 will be doing them, you know, recruitment for that um, in about a few weeks. So we're really excited about that. That is cool. Because it can, it can help to contribute a new understanding of health. Now, David, is this study nurses' health or this is nurses documenting it? Or I guess I don't know what the, what the name really refers to. So the nurses' health study, it's a captive audience of nurses. They have over 100,000 nurses that are participate in the study. So they will be tracking various measurements like their geolocation, Got tracking for their steps, um, using a Fitbit, their steps and sleep and heart rate and weight and a bunch of stuff with their Fitbit. And they'll be doing that a few times a year. So the nice. goal is to just, you know, so tracking all that information. And so that gets used to publish, publish reports and whatnot. So, but you know, and, and it extends, it could, ex- I mean, obviously we could do this for the entire country if we wanted to, but they focus more on nurses, but they just have a really big sample size. That's yeah. bigger than most other <laughs> most other studies in this space don't really have that kind of sample size. Well, there's no doubt, David, you're doing some pretty amazing things. The time flies, man. So we're going to have to find a, a, another time to get you back on for a part two. This has been very enjoyable. If you had to recommend a book to the listeners, what book would you recommend? Yeah, so one book that I read recently, it just kind of like was just really fun to read and, and this was quite informative is a book called Win Bigly by Scott Adams. It's just kind of funny, but it's like Scott Adams is one of the creators of uh, Dilbert or no, he is the creator of Dilbert. Uh, cool. cartoon. 
And uh, it's a lot about kind of understanding how the mind works in a lot of ways and how just being able to, I don't know, relate to other people. It's been really helpful in terms of like with that empathy aspect that I was talking about earlier. I think it's just yes. been, it's very interesting to know how, where, where people are having say cognitive dissonance or where they're having sort of these, where they're finding confirmation bias and trying to navigate within them because humans are humans and that's how we operate. And so it's a really good book and it's kind of a fun read. It's a little bit, a lot of his predictions on, on the 2016 election, but he uses that as kind of the, the case study to talk about these other issues on cognitive science. Sounds interesting. Win bigly. So don't worry about writing that down, listeners. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash overlap. And you'll be able to find all the show notes, links to the book, as well as a transcript of our discussion today. It's been a ton of fun, David. Uh, if you can, just uh, leave us with some closing thoughts and then the best place for the listeners to get in touch with you. Some closing thoughts. Well, I, I think definitely check out Overlap. Go to overlaphealth.com. But the thing I think I would just tell your listeners is just really try to focus on empathy, try to focus on trust, try to focus on rebuilding that relationship that's been broken. And I think starting from that perspective, I think we can figure out how to, and listening to people from why it's broken for them, um, I think will present itself with so much opportunity to change. Be open to change. Don't have an ego. <laughs> Just do what's right for, for people. And money and opportunities will present itself. It always does for organizations and people who really focus on having a big vision and trying to meet people where they're at. So that's how I would close. That's a great message, David. And, and where would the listeners uh, reach you or follow you? They can follow me on my at David H. Haddad. That's David H A D A D dot com. I'm not really big on social media, so I, you know, you can also find me on Twitter, but I don't really respond <laughs> as best as I <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. No worries. I've, I've, I've uh, been peeling off of social media more and more these days. So but yeah, that's uh, you can find me there. Go to overlaphealth.com or just, I don't know, send me an email, David at overlaphealth.com. Just say hi. I always respond to my emails. So that's where to reach me. Awesome, David. Hey, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, really appreciate this refocus that you did with us today, you know, focusing on relationships over transactions and, and scaling trust. So appreciate your, your words of wisdom, brother, and uh, super excited to stay in touch. Thank you.